It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This is Access Atlanta. Every week, we share some of the best places to eat, play, and live out loud in the ATL. And, of course, we go behind the scenes and find the stories that show Atlanta is one of a kind. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. We've changed the way we do our podcast. That means we're recording it remotely from our homes, but we've also changed what we're talking about in the podcast, since we've always prided ourselves on providing guidance on things to do in and around Atlanta, and because most venues, theaters, and attractions are closed, we're going indoors, and in some cases where it's practical, outdoors to places where it's easy to practice social distancing. Former Atlanta David Bruckner's second feature film, The Night House, was picked up by Searchlight Pictures for a reported $12 million after its January 2020 Sundance Film Festival world premiere. At its center is a smart, determined school teacher whose architect husband is checked out of a seemingly happy marriage by committing suicide. Now she suspects that her husband is contacting her from beyond the grave. Alone in the remote lake house, the woman tries to solve the mystery of her dead husband's secret life. Freelance writer Felicia Feaster spoke with Bruckner about the film, and she's here to bring us that conversation. Welcome, Felicia. Hi, thank you for having me. So this uh, this sounds really, it sounds like a really interesting movie, even though it's, you know, it's a genre thing, but but it sounds like it has a little more going for it. Well, to me, there are two tests of a good horror film. Number one, is it scary? which this one is, I, I will admit watching it at home, I had a blanket up close, you know, around my eyes uh, protecting me. And the other test is, does it do something new with the horror genre and have something to say beyond tapping into our fears? And this film really does. It's a psychological horror film. So it takes place really in the headspace of its heroine, Beth, played by Rebecca Hall, who's a school teacher whose reality has been upended by her husband's committing suicide. And it's really about her grappling with that issue, but also in a sense, grappling with loss and grief and how that creates a barrier between her and the other characters in the film. It's so interesting to me, this, this interview with David Bruckner felt like a little bit of a homecoming um, for me because I wrote a story in 2003 
about David and a whole group of other Atlanta filmmakers, Dan Bush, Jacob Gentry, Adam Penny, Alex Orr, Mike Bruni, Hugh Brazelton, who were all really important and um, doing great work in the Atlanta independent film scene. And now, as far as I know, all of them are working in some way in film, um, whether in Atlanta or like David Bruckner, he's you know gone onto the national level. So it's it's really exciting to me to see someone kind of come full circle in this way. Yeah, and and we had uh, spoken. Well, we were texting back and forth or emailing about the uh, uh, his previous film, The Ritual, uh, which I did see because I had read the book and loved the book. Um, and I thought that was a fascinating uh, movie too. And horror is not something I, I seek out a lot, but but that book just fascinated me. And and the movie I thought did a fabulous job capturing that that very strange atmosphere. I agree. I I love horror when it has a hook, when it has an idea going on beyond just you know the scares and the the psychological element. And the ritual was again another really elegantly made film that had to do with kind of male anxiety and this male group and them contending with this monster loose in the Swedish woods and and how their own sort of group psychology manifested itself in in this confrontation. So yeah, I think he's off to a really great start. His next film is going to be a reboot of Clive Barker's Hellraiser. So it looks like he's uh, ascendant in a Hollywood uh, sense. Right. Well, that's great. So uh, is there anything else we should know before uh, we hear uh, your conversation with them? Well, one thing I wanted to mention is um, the thing that I also appreciated about this film was I think there's a convention in horror films of female characters being, you know, scared to bits, um, screaming their, their heads off, basically passive victims in many regards. And Beth in this film is just a really um, dynamic, animated, uh, adventurous character who explores, goes closer to the things most of us would run away from. She's very much, you know, interested in solving the mystery of her dead husband's life. And I think that was really thrilling for me to see a female character treated in this way in horror and her the tangential characters as well. Her friend um, Claire, played by Sarah Goldberg, is also a really interesting character who has an interesting life of her own and a great relationship with Beth and does something. I won't give a spoiler away, but does something in the film that really surprised me in terms of the conventions of horror. So yeah. look for that. That's great. So this this opens uh, August 20th, right? So Friday. That's right. So you can um, watch this very, very satisfying horror film um, and know that it, it started here in Atlanta, in a sense, with a filmmaker who um, grew up here and has gone on to um, really great things. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Felicia, for bringing us this. Thank you so much. Okay, let's hear from David Bruckner. Hi, Dave. It's Felicia Feaster with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. How are you? Felicia, it's so <laughs> nice to talk to you. It's been quite some time, hasn't it? I know it has. I have to say, though, it's just been so wonderful to see your progress as a filmmaker from your beginnings in Atlanta to your recent success at Sundance with the Night House. Congratulations. I appreciate that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
So the Night House reminded me of female centric horror like Rosemary's Baby and Repulsion, but I also think it reminds me of the real life experience of being a woman alone in a house and the fear that can create. So it's pretty relatable. Can you talk about where you locate the Night House in the horror genre? I, I think from the moment I read the script, I w was very excited about um, doing something that was primarily a character piece um, that had a very fascinating, very disarming arc uh, for the central protagonist, for Beth. I was just fascinated by Beth. But, um, but the Ben Collins and Luke Petrowski, the writers, are um, very astute in the genre and understand how to reflect the character through tropes. And uh, so the, the, the genre person in me was excited about doing a, a, a really weird haunted house movie that um, you know, was also a bit of a gothic romance um, that also had you know, one foot in the weird world of um, you know, geography horror, if there is such a thing, which has always kind of fascinated me, the idea of changing spaces as a reflection of changing minds. And, um, um, and, and, and inner conflict and turmoil. So it, it had a lot to, for me to, to chew on and to do and to work with. And um, it was also uh, just a huge challenge to jump into something like this. Can you talk about that aspect of geography? Because the film is called The Night House and the mm -hmm. house is a pretty important character in the drama. The attic and the basement have often been zones of horror and horror literature and film. But here it seemed like all of that glass, the glass doors, the glass windows, the reflective surfaces were a source of horror. It just felt like Beth was constantly surveyed and those windows were like watching eyes. Can you talk about that element in generating a feeling of dread? Yeah, I mean, we well, we knew we wanted to find a house that had an open vista on the lake, you know, that the water, we just talked a lot about water, that, that it was in the room with you at all times, that you could feel nature creeping in even when you were inside the house. Um, but there's a lot going on, too. I mean, the fact that the house is a construct bit, built by her late husband, who was an architect, um, in some ways, uh, I think this is more implied in the backstory than sort of spoken literally in the film as a... Um, um, a means to save the marriage, like an idyllic vision of what they could be. These are two individuals that harbored some dark secrets and had troubles themselves. And uh, in, in some ways, the film is about realizing that your marriage is not what you thought it was and how perfect to then find an alternate version of your house, you know, um, a, a mirrored aspect, the dark um, um, copy of what you thought you were in necessarily. So, uh, I think, you know, reverse motifs, uh, mirror logic, um, and then uh, changing spaces and geography of a house that is evolving throughout the course of the movie. Um, I think all that, you know, gave us a lot to, to offer the audience in a very literal way, but there's also a lot going on that I don't think you know that you see um, that uh, hopefully if it's working creates a kind of subconscious dread, um, an undertone of unease. It did. The horror genre really kind of depends upon women in peril, or at least a, a good portion of it. But your film takes a really different approach in its heroine. Can you talk about why Beth, played by Rebecca Hall, is different from the norm? And also maybe how her best friend Claire might also be a little bit different? Yeah, yeah. Um, appreciate the question. Yeah, I mean, well, Beth, first of all, is not, she's not running, jumping, screaming, 
you know, away from the problem. Um, she's someone who is going towards the scary things, um, which is because she's driven to understand why her husband has taken his life and is willing to put herself in peril um, uh, uh, to find those answers. So um, her desire for information, for context to, to find him in the midst of this is um, greater than her self-preservation. And it puts the audience in a very precarious place because we can both be afraid for her and we can be with her in moments, but she also departs from our perspective at times and um, might do things that we ourselves might not imagine doing. And um, in that sense, I think the audience is almost, um, instead of role-playing with her, they're kind of watching somebody they care about teeter on the edge of the cliff. And um, that's where a character like Claire comes in, you know, who is really the audience surrogate in some ways and um, is there to help. And um, I think in the moments that Claire and Beth are together, you know, we, we notice hopefully a, a really rich female friendship, which I feel like I, I don't get to see enough in genre. Um, uh, um, there's a very endearing quality to the way they care for one another and, and where we pick them up in their, in their relationship and in their friendship. But um, also we may feel um, Claire's anxiety because um, she uh, doesn't know how to help Beth and um, may inadvertently be pushing her in the wrong direction. And so some of this is about the awkwardness of grief and um, there's, there's a lot to, a lot to be mined there. For sure. Well, I don't think I knew this before, but do you think that your parents' jobs, your father's job as a police detective and your mother's as an emergency room nurse had any influence on your interest in the macabre? I mean, it, it certainly made for a curious uh, dinner table. Uh, but uh yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think, look, I've had it easy. I make believe with my friends um, about dark ideas and, um, you know, anybody that's in the medical profession or um, law enforcement has an enormous, incredible responsibility and, um, and uh, has dealt with things sometimes in a split second that, um, you know, our life and death. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I, I grew up around the awareness of that. Um, there was a lot of caution in my household. And so um, I, I was a young person who I think like a lot of horror fans was drawn to horror because it affected me because I was, I was scared. I was vulnerable to it and to the world in some ways. And so you sort of seek out the things that um, you're afraid of in some ways. I'm curious, how do you think your past making films in Atlanta? I know it probably seems like a long, long time ago, but how do you think that his affected, um, helped shape how you work today? Or, or are those influences still evident in what you're doing now? Oh, and in every way. I mean, I, I still feel like an Atlanta filmmaker. I mean, I, I you know, maybe I am. I, I, I think um, I was very lucky because I came down to Atlanta shortly after uh, college with UGA and I just, um, I, I fell into the right crowd. It was just a very um, creative, um, very, um, um, uh, uh, prolific uh, a group of people that were doing a lot of theater. Um, Push Push Theater at the time was the place to be for me. And, um, and we were able to invent this thing called the Dailies Project, which was took the philosophies of Push Push Theater and put it into cinema. It was a workshop approach. And the idea was make things and at a certain point, invite the audience in on it. And so that was really my film school. And um, 
you know, the that I found Atlanta, some um, inventive, intense, you know, wonderful people that um, I, I ever got to, to, to work with and collaborate with. And I just think that um, the spirit of a lot of that is still, for me, um, that's where my approach to working with actors, to working on story, that's where uh, all of it really comes from. That's awesome to hear. Mm-hmm. So is it mostly other horror films that have inspired your visual imagination when it comes to what scares people? Or do you read or seek out other information that helps you understand what we find terrifying? Like, are you the kind of person who keeps a horror diary? Do you keep make notes about scary things? Uh, I'm the kind of person who makes notes and then loses the notes. So <laughs> I don't have a, like a, like a, a great formula for tracking stuff like that. Uh, no, I mean, I watched all kinds of films. I mean, I think, um, you know, I probably, I'd say network is like top three for me or something. Like I appreciate like a good social satire. Um, but I like stuff that has an edge to it. And I feel like my secret favorite genre might be sci-fi horror, which I think is massively underserved. And, um, but, uh, no, I keep up as best I can. I don't always think consciously about a set of movies going into a project. Like I don't have something specifically, uh, especially stylistically that I'm trying to emulate. Um, it's all very intuitive and the movies come together very quickly. Like I, I don't, I'm sort of impressed when filmmakers, really have time to reference things and, and build a visual construct that's very specific. I think for me, I always feel like I'm kind of getting thrown into it. And it's a, it's very much an intuitive gut instinct where the camera goes and how it's going to move. And so if there are uh, patterns emerging across the films, I, I'm not aware of it usually until after the fact. So you'll find out later if you're a notcher, I guess, when people start <laughs> writing about those patterns. So yeah, you, it's a collaborative meeting. I'm not even sh- a medium. I like, I'm not even sure I know what that word means most of the time. Mm, yeah, it's true. Um, so you've said that your previous film, The Ritual, is about masculinity and crisis, which I think is a really interesting take on that film and a twist on the usual horror tropes, maybe. Will Hellraiser, which you're working on next, intersect in similar ways with contemporary psychology? Do you think it'll be sort of about the times we live in, in addition to a reboot of a classic horror film? It's funny because I feel like sometimes you stumble on something that has like a contemporary context, you know, like, you know, masculinity in crisis, for instance, it's like that, you know, obviously it's topical in some ways. I think uh, what usually comes first is just some relatability for me, you know, Um, like, I think I can make this work because I understand this problem or this dilemma in some ways, you know, something like ritual. It's like, I, you know, I made the film that I was 37, 38, I made it. And it's about guys approaching middle age who are realizing their limitations and they're growing out of friendships and um, they're losing respect for one another in some ways. And that's a tough, dark place. That's not unfamiliar to me. And so, um, you know, um, you know, something like Hellraiser, I think anything that I'm lucky to get my hands on, uh, there's got to be some kind of core relatable thread that I can find and that may or may not be topical. And do you, can you talk about what that might be? Can you give us a little hint of, of an idea that you've been germinating? Um, with Hellraiser specifically? Yes. Uh, not, I wouldn't want to give that away at this point. I would just say that it's, there, uh, you know, Clive Barker, uh, 
opened a door to a vast, dense, complicated world. And I think you can do anything with it. You know, um, there's really no end to what can be explored. So um, I'm just excited to be the next filmmaker that gets to open the box, so to speak. Yeah, it's it's definitely a big deal. So you're obviously a, a big horror fan, but you seem interested in doing things a little bit differently. Do you think that your approach to horror is revisionist? What do you mean? Well, do you think you're taking familiar horror tropes and playing with them or doing something a little bit different that comments upon the tropes themselves? Um, yeah, I, maybe a little bit. Um, not in a super conscious way, you know, I mean, not, not like a Tarantino film or something where it's kind of about the tropes themselves. I, I find myself seeking um, a way to ground things that maybe shouldn't be grounded. You know, it's like the, the, the most fun part for me was something like the ritual is like, this is four guys being stalked by an ancient Norse animal god. Um, but for real, like that's what's happening. So what are the issues that you guys have to get out to kind of handle this? And so um, uh, I, I, I think that grounding um, may sometimes have a flavor that harkens back to a different performance style, um, but it's, it's more just a frequency or a note that I find myself drawn to or after. I, I, there's not a very conscious effort to, you know, reference a specific era um, or comment on the genre itself. I feel maybe a little bit more workmanlike in my approach. Like, I just want to use these tropes. You know, I just want to get Nighthouse's uh, my chance to play in the world of haunted house and gothic romance, you know, and, uh, uh, and to just lean into it with, without, um, judgment. Um, hopefully I, I, not too meta way. No, not too meta, perfectly, um, semi-meta. It was very, it was very enjoyable. And I'm really looking forward to, to what you do with Hellraiser. So Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. And it's, and it's great to talk to you again, Felicia. It's been a while. You. I'm so happy for all of your success. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Traditionally, a lake house was for retirees or a weekend getaway for people with money. Today, a lake house is becoming the primary residence as people found they could work anywhere and didn't need to wait for their dream home. Nationally, lake property prices are skyrocketing and demand is at an all-time high. Freelance writer Mary Welch takes a look at this uptick in lake house sales on AJC.com. Hamilton was ready for Atlanta in March 2020. Then COVID-19 came gunning like Aaron Burr with a loaded flintlock. The musical went down for the count, but this month, with many patrons still skittish about venturing indoors for shows, the Broadway in Atlanta production of Hamilton will return to Atlanta's Fox Theater. Bo Emerson talks to some Hamilton cast members and offers info on the theater's COVID-19 protocols and how to get tickets for the highly anticipated show's return on AJC.com. DragonCon, the largest sci-fi convention in Atlanta, today is joining a raft of other events and music venues by requiring COVID-19 vaccinations or a recent negative test to take part. The new guidelines arrive as the Delta variant is causing a spike in COVID-19 cases in recent weeks, leading Music Midtown and many local music venues, theaters, and restaurants to institute similar policies. AEG's Variety Playhouse, Terminal West, and the Eastern, starting on October 1st, is requiring vaccination only, not just a negative test. 
Two weeks ago, DragonCon announced a mask mandate, along with limiting the popular DragonCon parade in downtown Atlanta on Saturday morning to just paid convention attendees. Get the rest of the story on Rodney Ho's radio and TV talk blog at AJC.com. Atlanta-based judge shows Lauren Lake's paternity court and couples court with the Cutlers are not coming back this fall. Personal Injury Court, a judge show featuring Atlanta's Gina Brogdon using actors as complainants, debuted in 2019 and has also been canceled. Lake's show, which featured her helping litigants deal with paternity-related legal issues, ran for seven seasons and was nominated for four daytime Emmys for Outstanding Legal Courtroom Program, winning one in 2019. The Cutler Show, which focused on relationships and featured a married combo team as judges, debuted in 2017. Keep up with all the latest news from the world of entertainment on the radio and TV talk blog at AJC.com. To get the AJC delivered or to subscribe to the e-paper, go to AJC.com slash subscribe. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. The podcast is edited by Tyson Horn. The theme music is by Bo Emerson and Billy Guen, and I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta.